My name is Keith Beavers, and what's really stuck with me lately is I was watching this cat documentary, and they're saying that cats haven't changed in thousands of years, and they're still wild animals. So we have wild animals in our house? That's cool. What's going on, wine lovers from the Vine Parrot Podcasting Network? This is Wine 101. My name is Keith Beavers. I am the tasting director of Vine Pear, and how are you? It's time to take a deep breath. It's time to just let it all soak in. We're gonna we're gonna get Chianti down today. You and I. No more stress, all Chianti, all the time. This episode of Wine 101 features Mays Row Wine Merchants' esteemed partner, Brancaia, a winery located in the centuries-old wine region of Tuscany, Italy, the subject of our deep dive today. Brancaia has crafted acclaimed complex wine that has captured the Tuscan identity and terroir for over 40 years. This is where wine meets world history. We're talking Renaissance, architecture, medieval cities, ancient vines... To try Brancaia, follow the link in the episode description to BarrelRoom.com, where you'll find a Chianti Classico and a critically acclaimed Trey Red Blend. Okay, here we are in the calmness of the Chianti episode. Okay, yeah, no, that's not working. <laughs> that's not working. I've had three espressos today. It's very hard to be calm. I'm actually very excited because... This is the Chianti episode. This is the episode where we're going to dive deep and give you guys the deets of what you need to know to lower that barrier of entry to one of the most famous wine regions in the world and one of the most famous wines we have on our American market. Before we get started, um, I would suggest, I mean, listen to this episode, but also listen to the Tuscany episode. And also the Sangiovese slash Chianti episode. Because in the Tuscany episode, I do a nice round overview of the region. And then in the Sangiovese slash Chianti episode, I go over Sangiovese's history and a little bit about Chianti that would that adhe- that was within context of that episode. This, and you'll notice in those two episodes, I don't go really detailed into the sub-regions and Chianti Classico and all that, but that's what we're going to do here. Also, there might be a few things I don't cover in this episode, but don't worry because the next 10 episodes, including this episode, are all Italian. And the first tranche is all Tuscany. We have a lot of cool stuff ahead of us, but today, in this episode, we are deep into the Chianti Hills. One thing to know about wines from Chianti is that over history, this region has changed multiple times and evolved in different ways to get to where we are today. And a lot of that stuff I will talk about in future episodes, but also you get some of that in the the episodes that I, I suggested in the beginning of this episode. Whoa. And even today, actually in like a year from now, Chianti is going through yet another evolution or change, which we'll get into. Like Bordeaux, Burgundy, Champagne, Chianti is one of those big, famous wine regions that we as Americans just know. We know Chianti so well. And Italian food, or American Italian-American food, is one of the most popular cuisines we have in our culture as Americans. And in addition to that... 
year over year over year, the majority of wine being imported into the United States is primarily Italian wine. And a lot of that Italian wine is from Chianti. And when I say we know Chianti well, it's culturally. As far as the details of that wine region, I often get people in a dizzy state going, look, I don't understand. I know Chianti's a wine, but that's all I got. So let's simplify this a little bit and get you excited about it because it's an exciting place for wine right now. In the history of Chianti, we're in probably the best place to enjoy these wines. Okay, let's get into some Chianti deets here. If we were to do a drone shot above the Chianti Hills, it would be beautiful. <laughs> but also, you would see the Chianti Hills, you'd see a big town to the north called Florence, and then you would see a big town to the south called Siena. And all of the hills that you see surrounding those two towns and going east and west from out and just all around, that is the Chianti D.O.C. G. So for DOC and DOCG stuff, if that's confusing for you, don't worry. I'm going to get into a lot of that when we talk about Super Tuscans coming up very soon. And as we look down on these hills, just know that there are almost 40,000 acres under vine tucked into those hills. And the majority of the vines that grow in Chianti are the Sangiovese grape. But there are other native red wine grapes growing here as well, with names like Canaiolo, Colorino, and older varieties like Mamolo and Chiliagiolo. But also in these hills, and they have been for a long time, you'll find Merlot, Cabernet Sauvignon, and Cab Franc. Okay, so we have these hills. There's a tons of tons of vines, and these are the varieties that grow in these hills. And if you were to train your eye smack dab in the middle of the Chianti Hills, you would see what is called Chianti Classico. It is the place where it all began. And what's unique, interesting, and sometimes confusing is remember when I said when you're looking at that whole area, it is the Chianti DOCG? Well, within the Chianti DOCG, there is another DOCG, and that is that center region Chianti Classico. It almost exists separate from the rest of Chianti while sitting smack dab in the middle of Chianti. Okay, so we see these two towns, one to the north, one to the south, and then we have smack dab in the middle, a DOCG in the middle of this larger DOCG. So surrounding the Chianti Classico region, right there in the middle, are seven separate communes or subzones or sub-appellations of the Chianti DOCG region. Okay, now, whether it's the general Chianti DOCG, Chianti DOCG with one of the seven communes or subzones appended to the label, or the Chianti Classico region, DOCG separate from everything else, no matter what, the primary variety is going to be Sangiovese. Because the way it works out in Chianti, in general, it changes, but in general, 70% of any blend in the Chianti Hills needs to be Sangiovese. In Siena, it's 75. In Chianti Classico, it's 80. And then I think it goes up to 90 as well, but for, for some tiers, but 
you know, we don't have to get into the minutia of that. Just know that Sangiovese rules the day here in the largest part of a blend, no matter where you are. And fun fact, these days, you're going to see more 100% Sangioveses than ever before. That's why this is a really great time in Chianti. There was a time in Chianti when they tried to sort of internationalize the wine. It's probably not even a word, but they put a lot of oak on wine to kind of get it a little more into the American palate. But over the last 10, 15 years, there's been a, uh, a move towards more high-acid, more fruit-forward, expressive wines. And that's why I think it's a really fun time for Chianti right now. But other varieties like Canaiolo, Colorino, Merlot, Cabernet Sauvignon, Cab Franc, they can also be blended into Chianti. But again, it's not as often that they're doing the, the French varieties anymore. They're trying to go more towards keeping it as native variety as possible, but it changes dramatically from place to place. So we have the center Classico region and all these surrounding seven subzones. And one thing to know about these subzones is the majority of them, well, a lot of them hug the Chianti Classico area, but something to know about these is the majority of them are for not weeknight wine. I mean, very good, extremely food pairing friendly wines that are best consumed in their youth. Chianti, Hot take here. Chianti doesn't really age. It's not one of the age-worthy wines that we have in the world. Yes, they do age between 5 and 10 years. Sometimes 15, we're, we're kind of pushing it after that. But Classico is where the majority of the age-worthy stuff is. Outside of Chianti Classico and these seven subzones, we are encountering very cool, fresh, fruit-forward wines. And there's are exceptions. There's always exceptions, but these are very general terms. This is why it's really fun to go out there and try all these Chiantis. Okay, let's get to the seven subzones. Okay, I'm going to try this out. If Florence is 12 o'clock and Siena is 6 o'clock and we're going clockwise, these are the seven sub-appellations of the Chianti DOCG. Chianti Rufina. Chianti Colli Arentini, Chianti Colli Senesi, Chianti Monte Spertoli, Chianti Colli Pisane, Chianti Montalbano, and then Chianti Colli Fiorentini. That last one is just south of Florence, so it kind of like cancels, it goes right to the noon hour. <laughs> Does that make sense? So, like I said, the majority of these are going to be light, easy drinking. I mean, not light, but sort of medium-bodied, you know, with the cherry notes and the cranberries and all the beautiful things that tangy Chianti brings us. But there are a few of them, like Chianti Rufina, which is north of Florence. It's in a very high elevation, and often that area, those wines age a little bit. Also in Siena, the, the Colli Senesi, all the way down, Senesi, Siena's the hill, Colli Senesi's the hills of Siena, and that's where the, the vineyards are. And because it's the most southern um, region, sub-zone sub of Chianti, the wines are a little more plush. But most of the other ones are nice, you know, fruity, like uh, uh, Colli uh, Pisane is actually a, almost a satellite region further towards the coast, actually. And then you have the Colli Fiorentini just south of Florence that was traditionally just to make wine for Florence because it's such a huge city. 
And even though there are general aging requirements in Chianti, each subzone, not all of them, but some of them have their own specific ways of aging. And that's not as important as the fact that they age the wines somewhat a year, sometimes six months, eight months here, but they release them on the t- at the time at which they believe in their subzone that wines on average should be released. So by the time it gets to you, it's right where it needs to be. And also, if you see a bottle of wine in a wine shop, it just says Chianti DOCG and nothing else. That means that that wine, the grapes for that wine could be sourced from any of the seven subzones. But if it says Chianti dash and it, then it has the name of a commune, you know it's coming from a specific terroir specific place. And speaking of terroir specific place, we have to talk about the other DOCG hanging out in Chianti, the Chianti Classico region where it all began. Okay, so the thing about Chianti is the, the, the maximum elevation in Chianti is 2,300 feet above sea level. That is more than the, the highest region. Rufina goes up to, I think, 1,600 feet. So we have these very mountainous hills, and this is where, like I said, where it all began. And the Chianti Classico region right now, like I said, the, things are going to change soon, but right now consists of nine communes. But... This is the thing. You're not going to see these communes prominently displayed on the wine label. They will be somewhere, but they won't be prominently displayed. So it's very, I can, I can list them. I've been struggling to, to figure out whether I should list them or not. But I think I'm going to list them just to have them on record for the transcript so you guys can read it. But when it comes to enjoying it, I have other thoughts. So here are the nine communes of Chianti Classico. Greve, San Casciano. Tavarnelle Val di Pesa, Barberino Val d'Elsa, Castellina, Poggi Bonsi, Radda, Gaiole, and Castel Nuovo Beradena. You'll notice in within that are the three originals from previous episodes. But the thing is, you're not going to see these in the label. So the thing about Chianti is. It's fun to pay attention to the different subzones that you're buying and within Classico and stuff like that. It's a lot of fun. And if you stick into one subzone for a while, you will get a sense of some terroir and styles. But Chianti changes so often, and winemakers are all, you know, winemakers aren't a monolith, they're all different. So every subzone has generally a Sangiovese based wine, but it could be different based on the varieties that they choose to blend with it, whether it's 100% Sangiovese, maybe it's an oak, maybe it's raised in stainless steel. There's so many different ways Chianti can come at you. So it's more fun to just go through the subzones and try them. And if you're going into the Chianti Classico thing, <laughs> the, it, it's the same thing. There are actually, and I read this, and I don't, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta cross-reference this with Chances, uh, Jedi Wine Master Chances Robinson, but from what I understand, there are about 50 varieties you can use to blend in Chianti Classico. That is lunatic, because the majority of the wines coming out of Chianti Classico are 100% Sangiovese these days. They'll blend international varieties, and they're more than they would other national varieties because it's Chianti Classico, and they age longer, but that's crazy. But one thing in Chianti Classico you are going to encounter is the levels of the tiers of quote unquote quality in that region and it's changing, but I have to tell you about it now. And then I need to tell you about what's, what may happen in the future. So 
you just have the information. It doesn't really matter so much because this is all sort of internal Chianti Classico trying to define themselves. For a long time, Chianti Classico was trying to create what would be called a crew system that is familiar with the Bur- with Burgundy, but the people of Chianti Classico rejected that and instead created this thing called Gran Selezione. And what that is, they created a third tier of quality in Chianti Classico. So you have Chianti Classico Rosso, that needs to be aged for one year. Then you have Chianti Classico Reserva, that needs to be aged 24 months with three months in bottle. Now, I don't always like to go into aging requirements because you're going to get a bottle when it's ready on the American market. Or if it's being it's been aged, we can talk about vintages. But the reason I'm saying this is because the Gran Selezione was, when it was brought on board, I think it was, uh, gosh, I think it was 2012 when it was brought on board. Um, what it said was, uh, if you want to have a Gran Selezione tier on your wine label, you have to have all varieties are harvested on your estate from your property, nothing from other vineyards that you might have contracts with. And the aging requirement is 30 months instead of 24 months with three months in bottle. And I'm only bringing that up because of it's a new thing and the the aging requirements are part of the new thing. (laughs) But right now, in Chianti Classico, they are creating what's called the UGAs. Unita Geographiche Adjuntive, which means the official additional geographic unit. So they are moving closer to this cruise system in, in Classico where they've approved 11 communes that would be specific terroir-driven spots. And seven of them are some of the original stuff that I mentioned before. I know this is very confusing. And to make it even more confusing... This UGA thing right now only applies to Gran Selezione, nothing else. None of this is as important as going to your wine shop, understanding the subzones, the seven of them, understanding what Chianti Classico is in that it ages more and it's the original, and to have fun, cook food, drink Chianti. It is an absolute pleasure of a wine to consume, and you have all of those subzones and two G- DOCGs to play with. That's awesome. And that is Chianti. I hope this overview helped you. I br- try to break it down piece by piece. If you have any questions, just hit me up on uh, Insta. DM me at Vine Pierre Keith. Let's talk next week about Tuscany. There's more Tuscany. Vine Pierre Keith is my Insta. Rate and review this podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. It really helps get the word out there. And now for some totally awesome credits. Wine 101 was produced, recorded, and edited by yours truly, Keith Beavers, at the Vine Pair headquarters in New York City. I want to give a big old shout out to co-founders Adam Teeter and Josh Mallon for creating Vine Pair. And I mean, big shout out to Danielle Grinberg, the art director of Vine Pair, for creating the most awesome logo for this podcast. Also, Darby Seaside for the theme song. Listen to this. And I want to thank the entire Vine Pair staff for helping me learn something new every day day. See you next week. E&J Gallo Winery is excited to sponsor this episode of Vine Pairs Wine 101. Gallo always welcomes new friends to wine with an amazing wide range of favorites ranging from everyday to luxury and sparkling wine. I mean, Gallo also makes award-winning spirits, but you know, this is a wine podcast. So whether you're new to wine or an aficionado, Gallo welcomes you to wine. We look forward to serving you enjoyment in moments that matter. Cheers.
Visit BarrelRoom.com today to find your next favorite, where shipping is available.